You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. Today's teaching is lesson number six from Gentle and Lowly, covering chapters 13 and 14. Another week has come and gone. I hope you all had a good moment this week, many good moments this week. But if you had some rough moments, I do pray that you've been able to lean into our Savior Jesus to ask him to call out to the Father for you and to allow the comforting, unexplainable peace of the Spirit to cover you with his love. Before I go any further, I want to apologize, but somehow your workbook, um, and if you can get that up for me, Megan, um, your workbook, question three, from chapter 13, you may have noticed, also turned up in chapter 14. So I don't know whether that meant God really wanted you to think about that, or I don't know what happened. But anyway, (laughs) this is the actual question um, three. And if you could just kind of get your phone out and take a picture of it maybe, and um, save it so that you'd have it to talk about later, that would be great. Maybe you can talk about it tonight, or if not, you can just think on it when you have time. Gosh, you guys look like when there's a a rock star coming through, you all got your phones up. And that's not me, so I don't know. That's the rock star right there. (laughs) I have been so excited for this lesson, taking time to recognize the Father and the Holy Spirit as they connect with Jesus, and more specifically with Jesus' heart is truly a joy, and it's also a mystery. In-depth study of the Father and of the Holy Spirit are way beyond the scope and the focus of Gentle and Lowly, but I'm grateful to Ortland for including these chapters. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your Son, our Savior, and thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives in us. Thank you for your presence here tonight. Please guide our journey through these chapters and let my words be your words. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, since we have spent this week considering both the Holy Spirit and the Father of mercies, I think it makes sense for us to dedicate a portion of time just to the triune God. For us as Christians, the existence and reality of the Trinity have probably become second nature. I just know in my heart that we are privileged to worship a God who is one God in three persons, but I am very hard pressed to explain it. So how does the Trinity work? I know when I turn on the ignition in my car, the engine fires up and I can get it from point A to point B. I have a very rudimentary knowledge as to how it all works, but I trust that it will get me there. Don't misunderstand or think that I'm somehow comparing the Trinity to a machine, I'm not. But if I can't really explain how a car works and I trust my life to its working, how much more do I fully trust the humanly incomprehensible Trinity? I do know that when I call out to Jesus, he intercedes and advocates for me to the Father. Likewise, I know if I'm so desperate or overwhelmed or exhausted, that I can't even find words, the Holy Spirit will be my parakletos, my advocate, praying for me, and he will teach me what I need to know, and he will comfort me. 
I know the car goes without understanding it in its entirety. I trust in our Father God, in whose image we are created, in Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord, and in the Holy Spirit, our Comforter, without knowing exactly how that happens. I am a sinful human being, but created in his image. He is God, I am not. I know that his scripture is inerrant, and he says in Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In Mark 12.29, we read, Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Historically, amidst a time of multiple gods being the norm in every culture, God declared to his people that he is one, the I am. By the same token, Jesus declared to his apostles that if they had seen him, they had seen the Father. He and the Father are one. Luke 3, 21 and 22 relays what happened at the Jordan River. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. Popular examples people have used to try to describe the Trinity include water in its three forms of room temperature liquid, frozen ice, and heated vapor, but water by any other name is still water, while Father, Son, and Spirit are separate persons in one God. Likewise, thinking of an apple or an egg with three different parts doesn't work because none of those parts is also the whole. It gets complicated, and we try and fail to describe it. This is a visual attempt, not mine. (laughs) One God is in the center. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And you can read those in the opposite direction. God is the Father, God is the Son, God is the Holy Spirit. The outside triangle depicts three persons as separate. In other words, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. It's not a perfect model, but perhaps it will be helpful, and I would say the whole thing would be circumscribed by the term love. Matthew Barrett, who presented this diagram in his book, Simply Trinity, phrases it this way. The persons of the Trinity work inseparably in all things, including creation and salvation. Every act of God is a single act of the triune God. Every operation is from Father through Son in the Spirit. So let's consider the Holy Spirit. A side note, um, in case the word apprehension in chapter 13 may have caught you off guard, Ortland defines and uses it in that vocabulary list that you have there as a deep or innate understanding, not fear or anxiety. You may have noticed that pops up many times in that chapter. I hope you were able to read uh, John chapters 14 to 16 as Ortland recommended. They speak clearly to our understanding of the Holy Spirit and Father of mercies. Let's just look at this list of things the Holy Spirit does. Regenerates us, convicts us, empowers us with gifts, testifies in our hearts, leads us, makes us fruitful, grants and nurtures us in resurrection life, 
enables us to kill sin, intercedes for us, prays for us, guides us into truth, transforms us into the image of Christ. And Ortland adds, causes us to feel Christ's heart for us. In lesson four, we learned the Greek word parakletos from 1 John 2.1 regarding Christ as our advocate, a helper. The same word appears only four other times in scripture, all referring to the Holy Spirit. Just close your eyes for a moment and listen as I read these words of Jesus. John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, whom I, Jesus, will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he, the Spirit, will bear witness about me. John 16, seven, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You can open your eyes. In all four scriptures, the English Standard and New King James translations use the word helper, while the New Living and the New International versions use the word advocate. So we've had a lot of familiarity with those terms and, and what they mean and what they stand for. Your homework this week included a question about the roles of the Spirit. I hope you can take some time this evening on that first question and share what you've experienced and what you may have learned from, from and about the Holy Spirit. Ortland's words ring clear. To know something is not always the same as to know it and experience it. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us daily, that we might know, way down deep, the endless grace of the heart of God. Once when I was really struggling with some life circumstances that were beyond my control, the Holy Spirit, in such a powerful way, gave me the following verse. It follows John 14, 26, which I just read to you. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You can just cling to that one when you're having a moment and even when it goes on. So let's go on to the Father of mercies. God is more the Father of mercies than Satan is the Father of sin. Whew, that statement embedded in chapter 14 knocked my socks off as the saying goes. That's more mercy than we can comprehend. God is love, and yet I know he also is wrath. Apologist J. Warner Wallace says, God is the perfect being. He has the perfect handle on the two sides of his nature, a God of justice and mercy, or a God of law and love, or a God of truth and grace. Only God holds these two things in perfect balance. So they aren't separate, but they're two sides of the same reality. If you studied Exodus with us these last two spring semesters, you will remember some pretty terrifying happenings. God had allowed the Hebrews to be enslaved for nearly 400 years. Then um, the Lord brought a plague of 
progression of plagues upon the Egyptians because Pharaoh refused to acknowledge God and let the Hebrews go. After God res rescued the Hebrews from bondage, there were some pretty scary events. Mount Sinai was quaking, thunders and lightnings, plural, if you remember that. <laughs> or remember in Exodus 32, following the golden calf debacle, the Lord commanded those Levites who claimed to be on his side to go into the camps and kill their brothers, companions, and neighbors, those who had denied God, and 3,000 men died. And then God sent a plague upon his people who had worshiped the calf Aaron made. That image of who God is, without an understanding that he is just as much loving and compassionate as he is wrathful, could make a person either quake in unmitigated, unending fear, or perhaps deny him altogether. I believe that's what Ortland wants us to absorb in our deepest understanding when he says this brief journey in God's, into God's heart is an attempt to make our mental image of who God is more accurate. Next week's lesson expands this concept and Pam will be talking about God's natural and strange work. God's heart is a mystery and yet he chose words that clearly magnify the depth of his mercies. For example, the Greek word Polus Blancnas, I've been practicing that one a lot. My seven-year-old granddaughter is a never-ending bundle of energy. Her enthusiasm rivals that of most avid football fans at the winning touchdown in the last second of the game. She loves presents, and last Christmas, in the middle of her princess phase, I gave her a gift of little satin gloves, a tiara, bracelet, necklace, and a cape. She could barely breathe. <laughs> she was so excited, jumping, pulling things out of the package, adorning herself, and finally, when she could speak, she bumped the volume way, be up, way up beyond Max, and she said, this is the mostest, bestest present. Our Father's heart is the mostest, bestest compassion. Pulis Bancos, superlative, merciful, a great compassionate heart. It is who he is. He can't be any different. Goodwin's description of multitude of mercies also thoroughly dismisses a common sentiment of, yeah, I know he's merciful, but I have been really bad, grievously wrong, I've gone over the line, he could never forgive me, quote, unquote. His heart, even as the God of wrath, is love, and his mercies are new every morning. A fountain, a fountain of endless mercies extending to meeting, and overflowingly providing for us in all our many needs and failures and wanderings and in our sin. This is who he is, father no less than son and son no less than father. In Ortland's sentiment, the heart of the father and of the son are one and the same. Theirs is a heart of redeeming love, not compromising justice and wrath, but beautifully satisfying justice and wrath. You could say I'm finishing where I began. I'm sharing with you something that I really don't fully understand. Knowing that no human being can fully understand it, but realizing that this is one of the mysteries of God. He will, if he chooses, reveal it if and when he deems it appropriate. 
Don't you feel blessed to have been born in this church age? We who are privileged to live out our lives in this pause between Daniel's 69th and 70th weeks, we who can choose his gift of salvation to give our lives to him and receive the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. So tonight, I would like us to end in a little music, and I would like us to sing something together. You may recognize this. It's called the doxology. I'm going to read the words first, and then we're going to sing. There are at least two wildly, widely used versions of melodies, so to avoid confusion, we're going to just sing the one that starts out, praise God from whom all. Do you know that one? Okay, that's what we're going to sing in a minute. So let me just read it to you. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. All blessings, and that word flow means continually. Praise him, all creatures here below. That's us and all creatures and all creation. Even the rocks cry out. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts, the angels, the heavenly beings. Isaiah saw them praising the Lord. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, our triune God. A man by the name of Thomas Ken wrote this in 1674, I believe it was, mid-1600s. Um, so it's been around for a long time, through the ages, and it's still very true. So what I would like to do is for you to stand up. And since there are a whole lot of us here, you're going to need to sing loud. Right? And we're going to take it a little slowly so we can just think about and we will just like make this our closing prayer and our worship to God. You ready? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you, ladies. Enjoy your table time. <laughs>